This audio is from King's Cross Church in Independence, Missouri. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit kingscrosskc.com. Our reading this morning is from Ephesians 2, 14 through 21. If you are using your black pewback Bibles in front of you, that is on page 976. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Will Turner. I'm one of the pastors here at King's Cross and uh, excited to continue Advent this week. I, I was sitting there and I was like worshiping and I had this weird thought that I will share with you. I don't know if I should, but I will. And I was like, man, it would be so fun to preach a Christmas sermon sitting in a giant red chair <laughs> with like Mr. Rogers slippers coming on and off kind of thing. But we all know that wouldn't work for me because I would get too excited. It wouldn't stay seated the whole time. Um, but I'm very excited to preach uh, an Advent sermon today. Our word is peace. Uh, on the, on the list of words as we go. And, and this is a, something that all of us universally crave. We desire, we want peace in everything that we have. We want peace in our marriage. We want peace in our friendships. We want pre- peace with our kids. Amen. We want peace with our families. Racially, we want peace. We want peace at work. We want peace in our country. We want, we want peace in the world. It's something that we talk about that is promised, that is uh, offered often as a bargaining chip. This is something that we want. We want peace. We crave it. And in fact, your body needs peace. Your body needs it. When you're not at peace, we call the word stressed. And we know that stress actually has insane effects on your body. And I just want to list a few of those things. Stress gives us headaches, muscle tension, chest pain, fatigue, upset stomach, anxiety, lack of motivation, depression, irritability, tobacco and drug overuse are are often accommodated with stress. Overeating and social withdrawal all can be attributed to stress. And I'm not like giving you a medical commercial. It's, this is showing us that our body reacts to the lack of peace violently. When we don't have peace, our body rebels against us. And it says, no, 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 you, you don't need this. You need peace. You need rest. And by the way, that's not even all the symptoms. I just stopped because it just got ridiculously long. You and I are hardwired for peace from the moment we were born, and we often try to manage our peace in, in many ways. 
depending on how you're wired, you do this differently. Some of you will seek peace as a problem to conquer, that you will fight and claw and rage for the peace in your life. You may even disrupt others' peace in order to retrieve or achieve your own peace. You're like, I don't care if anybody else is at peace. I will fight my way for peace no matter the cost. Uh, many of you do that, but some of you um, don't. You just ignore conflict. You just say, nope, I'm going to put my blinders on and keep going because that's going to give me anxiety. That's going to give me stress. That's going to give me worry. That's going to give me uh, fear. And so you throw up blinders and just try to like work your way through life, not fighting or having any conflict. And, and in that little bubble, we pretend that we have peace. Or if you're like me, you just try to outfund your disruption of peace. Like, man, this is not good. Let's just do some more fun things to try to like stir up. Uh, okay, this is really bad, but I'm just going to go like play games or laugh or watch a funny movie or just anything that I can do to ignore the disruption of my peace. And, and honestly, I do all three of those things sometimes and probably you do too. Um, but the big point is that we all want peace. We all need peace and we all try to cope and, and make our own peace in ways that are broken in and of themselves. And at the end of the day, those temporary bandages, all those different ways that we try to achieve our own peace, they fall off and we realize we're no more healed than we were when the problem first started. And this problem isn't new and it's not like a generational thing. This isn't here because of our climate or culture or smartphones or political disappointments. That's not why we're at this disruption of peace where we can't ever find our peace. It's not like if we just got rid of all the bad stuff that we have in our culture, like peace will not be achieved on this side of heaven because this is an ancient problem that dates all the way back to the Garden of Eden when mankind decided to roll their own and in their pride they chose to walk away from perfect peace. They did. Adam and Eve chose to walk away from perfect peace, which seems insane to us. We like to blame Adam and Eve. I, I remember when I was having stomach aches as a kid and my stomach would be hurting so bad and I would be crying and I just remember sitting there. I won't tell you where I was sitting and, and I would be sitting there and I remember thinking like, this is Adam and Eve's fault. This is Adam and Eve's fault that my stomach hurts this bad, but it's, it's easy to blame them. It's easy to say, I wouldn't have, you know, broken peace. I wouldn't have chose to do that. But often we do the same thing every single day. We choose to walk away from perfect peace because believe it or not, you do have access to it. You do have access to it, but we walk away. We do the exact same things Adam and Eve did. Uh, when I was in high school, um, we had lost a pretty significant football game and I was really upset. I was upset. And this one guy, we'll call him Joe. Uh, Joe would tease me incessantly about it. He's like, oh, you guys did terrible. You guys did bad. You guys did everything. And, and I tried at the beginning of the day to just ignore him. Just like, I will not acknowledge Joe. Uh, he's disturbing my peace. I will just ignore it. But sure enough, Joe did not go away. And Joe, Joe who was supposedly my friend, continued to just egg me on and egg me on and egg me on. So finally, I started making jokes about it. You're like, yep, yeah, we did. We messed up bad. Isn't that funny? Here's another funny thing that happened during the game, like trying to make light and laugh and just get over it in myself. But Joe just wouldn't let up. He just would not let up. And so finally, the, at the last resort, I uh, initiated aggressive negotiations with Joe, um, which also did not solve my problem because at the end of the day, all of those like methods of ignoring and outfunning and 
violently interrogating, like all of those things just left me still unre- at unrest, lacking peace and unsettled. And it's because I was looking to the wrong places. I was looking, I had put all my hope and all my, uh, all my, like everything in the bucket of like this moment, this football game, everything. And it was relying on that. And I allowed that, whether the outcome of that game was good or bad, that was going to be the determiner of my peace. And when it failed, I could not fix the problem. The band-aids that I put over it would not go away. Joe would not go away. And I tried to solve it in the ways that Adam and Eve did. They chose to do their own thing. They chose to, God doesn't know. He's holding out on me. And so I'm going to do it my own way. And like all of us, they were left without peace. I would, have, I, would have, I would assert this morning that whatever sin you're currently dealing with is an attempt to gain some sort of inner peace by achieving pleasure, power, and influence. Those things that you go to, those things that, that you desire, you want to have them because you think that will give you rest, that you think that will give you contentment, you think that will give you peace. You want to do these things, you're trying to do these things because you have pain in certain areas, and so you're like, to cover up this pain, I'm going to achieve peace by... Influenced by pleasure, by power, whatever the thing is. And the enemy knows all of that, by the way. He knows all the ways. And he tempted Jesus with the very same things. If you look at when he was, Jesus was in the wilderness, he's, he's fasting, and, and, and Satan goes to him and tempts him with those very things. Influence, power, pleasure. Like, you don't have to do this, Jesus. God's holding out on you. It's the same ancient lie that Adam and Eve believed in the garden. That if you just do what I offer for you, if you just take what I'm offering, then you will achieve peace. And Jesus knew that it was a lie. The enemy knows all of those places. And he tells you, hey, are you hungry? Are you in pain? Are you stressed? Are you not at peace? Here is a quick fix for you that will heal you right now. And it is a lie. Every single time, it is a lie. So going forward, I think we all agree we need peace. And we all agree that it is crucial for us right now to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the broken places that we attempt to solve that problem. In fact, this sermon will mean nothing to you unless you pray that prayer that the Holy Spirit would even right now reveal in you the places in which you try to solve your own peace on your own without God in the ways that you do. You need to know, like, this is the way that I do it. If I don't know my idolatry, if I don't know the twisted ways in which I try to manipulate and, and strive and work my own way. Like you need, because here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to examine that spot and then we're going to take the gospel and just stick it to it. Cause that is the spoiler of how peace is solved. That's what Ephesians two will teach us here in a moment. And because praise God, he didn't leave us doomed to try to solve this problem, wandering our, wandering around in the wilderness, failing to solve our peace problems. But for those who are in this moment, um, either unconsciously or even consciously digging in, believing that, you know what, he's saying all of these things, but I actually do believe that my way is better. I believe that I can find peace my way. I believe that I can uh, continue running in my own lane, that I don't necessarily need like God's intervention in my life to achieve peace. If that is you this morning, if you're believing that God is holding out on you, that you have a better way, my, my, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would convict you because the end of that path is destruction and death. It is. It's destruction and death. 
And so I want you to examine your heart this morning. That where, where are you being defensive? That's what we are. We're being defensive because we have some sort of idolatry thing going on that's like the only way to achieve peace is this. It's finances, it's work, it's family, it's relationship. Whatever you, the thing is that we think, oh, these are great things. We, we give them so much power over our lives and all of a sudden we're like, this is the thing that gives us peace. And I'm telling you, if that is what you're relying on to give you peace, it will end in disappointment. It will end in death and it will end in destruction ultimately. And so I want you to examine your hearts and see where you are. Where, where do you go to when, you are, when your peace is disrupted? Where do you go to? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you convict sin, that you reveal our hearts, and that you bring us into freedom together as a family. Show us where our hearts, our, our flesh goes to when our peace is disrupted. And when you do that, Lord, when you reveal that to us, show all the ways in which it is broken. Show us that the, the striving that we do towards our idols, the, the, the thing that we do to protect and, and take care of our idols, show us how broken and empty and unsatisfying that ultimately is, God. Lord, in this season, we need you. We need you. And as, we lay at your, and as we lay at your feet this morning, let us be warmed in the ultimate peace that you have for us. The peace of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Lord, we love you and we ask all these things in your name. Amen. If you are nostalgic this morning, this will be nostalgic for you. Uh, Christmas time always makes me nostalgic. And as I was just reading through the text, I was like, man... Alliteration is right there in front of me, and I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, and alliteration was all over the place, and we're going to do that. So if you're a note taker, it's going to be real nice for you because it's, it's very easy and clean to see the alliteration. And I had a buddy who was a preacher, and he says, if you can't find alliteration in every text, you're just not reading your Bible enough. Um, I don't know if that's true, but I found it this time with the help of others. But it, it is a, it's fun. We're going to have some fun with it. Um, and in order to, to get to the heart of this passage, so before we get into Ephesians, we have to do some contextual work, as always. Um, the people in Ephesians were a people who were not just expecting peace on a whim. They were promised peace hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before. So first thing we have this morning is that peace has been promised to us from the beginning of time. From the moment that Adam and Eve bombed in the garden, God was promising them a way to restore all things. He was saying, hey, this is bad. You have sinned. You guys got to leave. But I promise you, one day it will not be this way anymore. One day the serpent's head will be crushed. If you look at Isaiah, we preached through Isaiah for 15 years, it felt like. But in Isaiah 26, the Lord was saying, or the, the, the scripture says, Oh Lord, you will ordain peace for us. You have indeed done all of our works. The prophet in that moment is saying like, God is ordaining peace for us one day. This promised root from the, the stump of Jesse, this will ordain peace for us. And guess what? He's going to do all the work for us in that. Isaiah 26, Isaiah 32, even more. The effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust 
forever. And Romans 16, 20 reflects this promise when it says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. All of the promises of scripture, everything that the Ephesian church had when they were receiving this letter from Paul was that we have a disruption of peace in our midst. This is a peace that we should have. God has been promising us this from the beginning of time. We should have that. And you and I have that exact same promise today that one day, all of these things that hurt us, all of these things that make us cry, that cause us anxiety, cause us stress and cause us pain. All of those things are not meaningless. And one day they will be, be brought to rest. That is the promise we have in scripture. God. Praise God. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, the reality we live in is in our world and in our circumstances, things aren't that way yet, right? We know. We know. We can't be fooled. Things are not that way. We often say this. Here's like things are not the way they should be. Things are not the way they should be yet. Sickness is real. Loss is real. Hardship is real. All of those things come to us and they fall on us. And we long, we even said it in our liturgy this morning, we long for Jesus to come quickly to make all things new, to, to fulfill his promise of peace. And yet, in this moment, we as believers have access to perfect peace. Not situationally, right? Not situationally, but we have access to perfect peace. The, the Ephesian church would have understood this. They would have longed for these same promises. And Paul would, would assert to them that peace did come. The incarnation, friends, is peace, breaking through the silence and, in, and initiating peace as a person. So the person of peace. You have the promise of peace, and then you have the person of peace. Verse 14, Ephesians 2 says, For he himself, talking about Jesus Christ is our peace. This is, this is uh, in the letter Paul is writing to the Ephesians. He's going on and on about, we just heard that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and we once walked, and we once walked following the, the prince and the spirit of the air, all the sons of the air, all that stuff, like passions of our flesh, carrying out our desires of the body, the mind, children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So he's just gone on this rant about the gospel. And then he goes into verse 14 of chapter two, and he's talking about how all of this disruption that you're experiencing in the Ephesian church, this racial divide between Gentiles and Jews, how they're not getting along, how they're actually grafted together into one body. He's saying that's made possible by the person of peace, Jesus. And it says he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace. We have a church of people very different from one another being brought together. We have the promised Jewish people, right? And now we have these Gentiles who are coming to know Jesus and they're in the same room. And of course, this leads to conflict. Uh, one commentator says this, like peace is an abstract idea that is personified in Christ. And in this passage, Paul uses the word peace 43 times in his writings, eight of them in Ephesians, and half of those even are mentioned right here in this verse to address a racial divide in the middle uh, of, the, of the church as it's forming in Ephesus. And he goes further, the words he uses when it says, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, while abolishing the law, verse 15, of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself a new man in place of two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. 
What he's describing between the Jews and Gentiles here isn't just a peace where we can look at one another and just say, you know what, we're not at war with one another. It actually means a warm embrace. It isn't just being okay with your enemy, but actually accepting your enemy as friends. That's the kind of reconciliation he's talking about here in this. And he's saying it's only possible through the incarnation. It's only possible through the one who is, as Julian preached last week, the Prince of Peace. One author describes this, and he says, Two countries may not be at war, but does that not, in fact, they do, that does not, in fact, make them allies. Two countries may not be at war with one another, but that doesn't mean that they're, they're, they're friends. But the words that he's using here for reconciliation, killing hostility, the, the language lends itself to not just tolerating one another, but in Jesus, we have deep friendship. Deep love, deep care, familial words are being used here. It's a beautiful thing that you and I in this room can all be connected as brothers and sisters in Jesus. But even more importantly, or just as important, not only do we have peace with one another in this text, but it's lending us to say that we have peace with God as well. The Prince of Peace came to unite us together as a family and to reconcile us with God the Father as well. Christ eliminated all hostility, uniting us together as brothers and sisters, uniting us with himself and reconciling us with his Father. If you look at Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with who? God. You and I have peace with God. That is good news, by the way. We have peace with God who once looked at us as enemies, rightfully so, who walked away just as Adam and Eve did, broke peace with him and abandoned him. Enemies of God, now he looks at us and we have peace with him through Jesus. The hope of the gospel is that the promise of peace was fulfilled in the person of peace so that you and I can be family and God no longer looks at you and I as enemies, but his children and friends and ones who would receive the full inheritance of heaven. And the Prince of Peace has secured all of that for us. <laughs> all of that. But why? Why and how did he do that? Why and how did God do that? And the, the reason for that actually matters. The reason for why God saved you, why God reconciled us together as a family and with himself, it matters. And the text does not leave it a mystery for us. Knowing the answer to this question will let you know that God has you secured and that, that, that we all should be receiving peace from that sweet, sweet good news. That's where our peace comes from. We have the promise of peace. We have the person of peace. And when he came, he proclaimed peace, the proclamation of peace when he was here. If you look at verse 17, Ephesians 2, it says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, speaking of the Gentiles and the Jews. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. When Jesus came, he disrupted the peace of the corrupt. He disrupted the peace of those who hoarded everything, who, who lacked reliance and, and lacked, their fa uh, lacked faith in God. But he preached a message to those who were longing, who had the greatest need. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, he preached, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
The Prince of Peace came to give rest for our weary souls. So if you remember in the beginning, like we were talking about all the ways that we strive for peace, Jesus is saying, stop, (laughs) stop, stop, come to me, take my yoke upon you. My burden is easy. It's light. I will give you rest for your weary souls. Stop trying to achieve peace on your own because you can't. Stop. Rest. Be still. And here's how he did it. Through his life, his death, and his resurrection, we were made clean by the washing and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, which now gives us access to the Father. If you want rest for your weary soul, it's through that. It's through the fact that your spirit is washed and renewed by the Holy Spirit so that before the Father, you are seen as his son, as his daughter. You are his. In John 16, we see Jesus addressing his disciples, and he's, he's telling them, hey, things are about to get really bad. Things are about to get really bad for all of us. He knows what's coming for him. He knows what's coming for them. It's going to be terrible. He knows death is on the horizon, but he, is assure, he assures his disciples with these empowering words. He said, I have said these things to you, that in me, excuse me, I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Notice Jesus doesn't promise them peace in all of their circumstances saying, hey, disciples, nothing bad's going to happen to you if you just believe in me. If you just follow me, you keep doing this work, being my disciple, you keep following me. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. He never says that to them. Not once. In fact, Jesus often says the opposite stuff's going to happen. On this side of glory, it's going to be bad, but peace is not something based on your situation. Jesus is offering them greater peace. The great assurance of Advent is that in this human, in this man who is also divine, we have peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ who were once enemies with uh, ourselves and with us and with God. In this man, we now have peace with God who once looked on you, ready to condemn you for your de- uh, condemn you to death for your sins. Jesus is the promise of peace in the Old Testament, and he is the person of peace, the one who embodies peace on this earth. He proclaimed peace while he lived here and he paid the price for peace when he died he did all of this sorry this is like wind blowing in my ear he did all of this so that one day in himself through his work he would create in you and i a people of peace a people of peace he was promised, yes, he was the Prince of Peace. He, he did all of the things in order to secure our peace for us so that when we look to God and we say, God, we are good together, like that gives us inner peace. And yet that's not all he's doing. He's taking you and I and forming us into a people of peace. For through him, it says, we have access in one spirit to the Father so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure is being joined together, grows into a holy temple to the Lord. Paul is demonstrating in this passage, in the context of racial conflict within the body of Christ, that from the beginning of time, God has been orchestrating this moment where humanity is spiritually united with one another, 
together with God through his son, Jesus, and he's creating a new man, a new house, a new people. That is incredible. It says we are being built up, growing into a holy temple. The place where God dwells is no longer in some building, but it will be in my people. It will be in my people. We, we don't have to go to this building or a temple or anything like that. Like the, the place where God dwells is transferring from a place and moving into the hearts of people based on the work of the gospel. Because of Jesus dying and being resurrected and the Holy Spirit washing your heart clean, you now as a believer in him, can house the Holy Spirit, the same spirit who is hovering over the waters in Genesis 1, now lives within you. When Jesus made a people of peace, a new man, uniting everyone differently into one people. This is beautiful. This can only be done through the gospel. We say this all the time here. You and I would never be in this room together if it were not under the banner of the gospel. We wouldn't. We're too different. We disagree on too many things. We're too off on so many things, but we are united in this room together because of what Jesus did for us. And that is a huge blessing. As believers in Jesus, we carry peace with us wherever we go because of that. The peace that was given to us, the reconciliation with us, with the Father, with one another, we carry that peace with us wherever we go. We are light bearers of peace. What God has done in, in us is nothing short of a miracle. In Colossians 3.15, Paul writes, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Should I switch to a handhold? Okay. All right. To summarize these things, friends, the path of peace comes from the gospel. It doesn't come from all the striving that you and I can do, all of the ways that we try to solve our problems from, from ignoring the Joe who, or trying to like have fun or trying to beat up or like whatever. Like it doesn't come from trying to solve those problems in the ways that we always try to solve those problems. It comes from resting in the gospel resting in the gospel on this side of heaven while, the, while Jesus has not yet made all things new, when the world is still broken and hurting, peace comes from relying on the gospel that we are no longer enemies with God, that we as brothers and sisters are family together that is where our peace lies, we must rely on that and that alone, if we rely on anything else we will be disappointed, we will be left wanting, we will be left trying to fix and cover and, and bandage up all this problems that only God can do it's where we're left. The path, the, the path to peace comes from the gospel. That Jesus paid the price for your sins. Otherwise, we all should have great anxiety, right? That all of us are bound for hell and destruction because of our sins. That should cause us more anxiety than our bank accounts, I tell you that. That eternally being separated from God is a real thing, and Jesus solved that for us ultimately once and for all. In this house, we have peace with one another and with God. Romans 15, 13 says, May the hope, may, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. 
when you are seeking to find peace in your life, whether it be in relationships and finances and sickness, any of the stuff that we mentioned earlier, when you're striving to do it your own way to strong arm the world around you for your peace, ignoring the struggles of the world for peace, whatever it is, all the different ways, all of that will leave you empty. If you talk to former drug addicts, specifically heroin, they will talk about that first high. And every high after that is just chasing that first high. And it's, it's never, you're never, never able to repeat that. Never. And yet we see it over and over, ten, over, and over again, these, these heroin addicts, they try and they try to just replicate that first high. And it often leads disastrously to overdosing and death. And we say, we can, you know, stand back and say, well, that's not me. That's not what I'm doing, but it is what you are doing. The moment that you try to solve all of your problems by like relieving, like, I just need this anxiety and this pain and all of this stuff to go away. And I'm going to try all of these temporary fixes to do it. It won't work. It may work for minutes. It may work for an hour, but it will not work for a week and it will not work for a month. And, and for the rest of your life, if you keep trying to solve the problem of your lack of peace with all of those things, you will be left wanting. And it will lead to death ultimately. But Jesus doesn't just leave us there, right? He doesn't just leave us there. Because the reality of what we're dealing with in those situations is idolatry, friends. Like we can patch it up and say we're doing good things to relieve our anxiety, but it's, a, it's idolatry. It's believing that God's holding out on you, that you can solve this problem yourself, and that if I don't have peace in this circumstance, then everything is bad. It's idolatry. But Jesus offers us a way out. He says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest for your souls. For my burden is easy and my yoke is light. What he offers for you is, is, is better. It's better. It doesn't mean your life's going to get better. Not on this side of glory. It doesn't mean all your circumstances are going to change and your bank account's going to be full and your marriage is going to be perfect and your kids are always going to do everything you say. It doesn't mean all of those things. Most of us will be like, well, we're very aware of that. Life is really hard. Life is really, really hard. And I think the hardest part about all of this, and this is reflected in the Advent season, is that perfect peace will come for us one day, but the Advent season represents waiting. It's so hard for us as humans to sit still and wait. It's, you know, that the Romans 15 passage says that the Holy Spirit would, would cause us to abound in hope. It's hard to hope because hope requires waiting. And waiting, we just are watching for the horizon for Jesus to return. The Advent season is a season of waiting, but God's promise us to us is that one day that waiting will be rewarded. God's promise to us is that one day all of that waiting, whether it be on this side of the ground or when, when I am six feet underneath, my body is dead and I am with Christ, one day he promises that this world will all be made new. It will all be made new. And all of the struggling and all of the tears and all of the pain and all of the heartache and all of the loss and sickness that, that we carry into this world that we're just burdening ourselves with, right? We lay it at the feet of Jesus and one day we will realize none of it was pointless. It was all for something. It was all for glory. 
when we relinquish control and hold on to the hope that Jesus will return, we get the reward of Revelation 21 when he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That is the peace that I crave. That is the peace that I long and I hope for. And it's only possible because the promised person of peace came and he proclaimed peace. He came and he proclaimed peace. And then he paid the price for you and I's peace. And then he made us into a people of peace called the church. And he, in this text, is describing the wedding between the people of peace and the groom, Jesus Christ. That he will restore all things to Eden as they once were. So Adam and Eve's mistake in the garden where they, where they walked away from God, where they walked away and said, we don't need you anymore. We can do this on our own. We can solve peace our own way. In that moment, God is restoring all things to as they should be. And we do not deserve it, but he is, he is giving it to us because he loves us. That is the goodness. That is the good news of Advent. That, that the, the, the Savior that we long await for is coming. And he's coming to restore peace for us. That is the advent that I desire. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you did not leave us in our striving. That you answer all of our idolatry with love and care and mercy and grace. When you could have let us flail and flail and continue to walk away from you as rebels, you usher us back to yourself as your children because you love us. We deserve punishment. We deserve unrest. We deserve war with you, and yet you offer peace through your son, Jesus. So thank you, Lord, for doing that for us. Thank you for sending your son so that he could die, that he could be resurrected. And God, I'm praying right now, if there's anyone in this room who just is struggling, even right now, that that they cannot let go, that they want to figure it out their own way, that they want to try to strong arm their own peace in their life, that they want to try to create circumstances in which they have peace that are just like, Lord, remind them of the fruitlessness of that labor. Tenderly and lovingly, can you break that down for them? And Holy Spirit, I ask that even in this moment that you would offer them the promises of the gospel, that that the, the yoke and the burden of Jesus is easy, it's light. That they would find rest for their weary souls this morning. And for those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus, would would we be reminded when it's so easily to just, it's so easy just to return to the old vices of ways that we used to try to solve our peace ourselves. But in this moment, let us be reminded of the advent promises of God, the hope of God, the hope of things to come, that, that in those things we can rest, that we can have peace. In the middle of our circumstances, in the middle of our struggling, God, remind us of what you're doing in this world so that we can rest. 
God, we need more of you. We need reliance on you. Increase our dependence. God, we ask for these things in your precious name. Amen.